Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Menes, and I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Menes. G'day, everyone. Yeah, welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. It's a really exciting time here in Australia. The World Cup is well is underway, and Australia's campaign begins this weekend against New Zealand at the SCG. On our doorstep, Paul, the World Cup begins, and... You know, I thought, you know, perfect time to record our World Cup preview. Uh, it's Monday night Australian time, so it gives everyone time to digest our in-depth form guide before the big game on the weekend. But, Paul, I mean, if the early stages are uh, anything to go by, we are in for a humdinger of a tournament. Yes, yesterday was a lot of fun, upset, um, and then a real thriller uh, in the second game. Um Menas, you're right, it is an ideal time to record, but it shows what affection I have for you and for the listeners that I have agreed to this because the Australia game that has just been completed, the warm-up game, normally, because I was at, I was at work, I wasn't able to watch it, I would normally be now in a media blackout and as we speak would be watching it, but I have sacrificed that. I have actually, I know the result. I thought it would be a bit <laughs> a bit much to do the podcast and just expect everyone to um, uh, not talk about it. So, yes, um, uh, really looking forward to, to the World Cup. I'm going to that game. I know you are. Um, at the SCG. I don't know what the long-range forecast is, but with Sydney at the moment, I hope that it's not going to rain. But, you know, uh, 45,000, plenty of Kiwis in the house. It could be a really good night. I mean, a couple of things. Uh, I mean, with the weather, one thing I've learnt in the last couple of years that as wet as it is in Sydney, the SCG has incredible drainage. So for those around the world, you could be looking at the forecast, but rest assured if the, the clouds part on Saturday for the game, they don't need a lot of time to get the ground um, ready for play. So uh, that that's a positive sign. And, and with that practice game against India, I jumped on um, – a, a live watch along with some guys at cricket.com and uh, it was a very hollow match I've got to say Paul you, you know you, what I don't understand is you got two teams that have been playing non-stop cricket they don't need a warm-up game it's just the ICC cashing in on it and uh, yeah wholly unnecessary 
Yeah, it's interesting because um, just first on your SCG point, absolutely the ground drains fantastically, but what we need is a bloody roof, um, you know, the New South <laughs> Wales government. Uh, I know it's not the easiest architectural thing given that the um, the Noble and the Bradman stands are about five times the size of the members and the ladies' pavilions because so it could be quite a um, an interesting-looking roof, but that's surely what the government should be doing. Um, but I read with interest that the fans weren't even allowed in at the Gabba today and that there were mm. some very disgruntled fans who had turned up expecting to go. And, look, I understand from the ICC's point of view that, A, they want to make sure that fans are turning up to the games that actually count, and, B, you'd have to have security, you'd have to have catering and all of that. It's, but it just doesn't sit well with me. It's not a nice look that you think that they would have been able to throw the gates open at the Gabba, have a couple of um, people selling a bit of food and drink in there and, and you know, get a, get a few thousand people in. I, I just find it a little disappointing they weren't allowed in, even if it turned out to be quite a hollow game. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I read the ICC's comments on it that because these warm-up games um, can be cancelled or changed, um, they like to keep them flexible so they don't want to ticket them. But I think where the confusion comes in is so India organised some warm-up games in Perth and those weren't official ICC warm-up games and spectators were allowed to go in. So if you're an Indian fan in Brisbane, you think, oh, well, why can't um, – I go to this game here when they're going to the game at the WACA. Um, and also it's disappointing Brisbane don't have any Indian games in the World Cup, so it would have been this sort of only chance to to see them. But, yeah, you know, I, I just think they shouldn't play them. I mean, they're just a waste of time. Yeah, I think ticketing it, they just said open the gates up, let them in for free, um, and, and maybe have a sign-up say, look, there's not going to be much here. You might have to bring your own lunch kind of thing. There'll be one or two people selling some food, but, geez, it's only a three-hour game. You can you can pop out and get some food at the restaurant, as uh, as um, uh, Ishant Sharma did a few years ago when they wouldn't allow him, um, when he wasn't happy with the quality of the food at the Gabba. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that's very much up to the players, that if the players value this game, then by all means have it. If I was India, I'd want as much... Uh, practice on Australian pitches as possible. I know it's not like it used to be that the conditions are so foreign to them that because, you know, these days they travel around the world so much more often. But if I was India, I'd actually value having a hit out on the Gabba in, in Australian conditions. But you're, you're right. If the players say, oh, we're doing this only out of obligation, then they should have cancelled it for sure. I mean, yeah, it didn't look great. But anyway, look, um, you know, a lot to look forward to in this episode. Paul and I have divided up the two groups and are going to analyse each of the groups. Then we're going to pick our semi-finalists and finalists uh, for the T20 World Cup. So we're going to put our necks on the line again. I famously said Australia could not win the last World Cup. And look, oh, I don't know, got it wrong. Fair enough. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to famously say, say that I famously disagree with you and said, though, every chance of winning. I didn't predict them, but I gave them a decent chance. And, um, you know, it's good that you're finally aware of that. And we're also going to dissect a couple of the cricket headlines uh, from the last couple of days. But it's mainly a preview. And also I just wanted to discuss uh, for the listeners of the podcast and those watching on YouTube what's going to happen um, throughout the T20 World Cup. Um, so Paul and I are going to try and record an episode after every Australian game, whether that's the day of, the day after, basically as soon as we can, um, we're going to try and record a review of the Australian games. I'll be going to some other games, so I might be just uh, jumping on with the odd little update. And then so, um, you know, things like the WBBL don't get lost. I might do the odd bonus episode. I might ring. Um, I, I'm arranging to speak to Brittany Carter from ABC about the WBBL next week and we can look back at the couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's not really going to be the um, same sort of schedule for Cricket Unfiltered, a bit more uh, focusing on the World Cup and the WBBL in sort of shorter episodes. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of content coming, Paul. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm always ready for cricket and um, I can't wait. I think it's going to be potentially a, a, a fantastic tournament and I hope that the Australian people kind of get behind it. I mean, the crowds I think will be good. The crowd was really good at the first game between um, Sri Lanka and Namibia down in Geelong. Uh, but I remember 2015 because it wasn't on free-to-air except for the Aussie games that it sort of ticked along a little bit in the background. I hope that doesn't happen this time. Same. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's get into the cricket headlines. Um, 
I mean, I just want to touch on a couple of things around the Australian team, Paul. You know, they they ended up losing that series to England 2-0. I think the last time we recorded was after the first match. So um, for those listening, they, they lost the second match and then the third match was abandoned. But Australia weren't looking good there when the rain came. Um, I, I was disappointed. Aaron Finch in a, in the press conference afterwards um, said how the team was sort of fatigued and, they, um, you know, they, he sort of said they were tired from all the cricket over the last month or so. And I, I just thought they were silly, silly comments. And, uh, you know, Australia were just outplayed by England in that series. And I think he just should have said that. I don't mind. I've got no problem with it. I mean, um, I hadn't heard those comments till I saw you mention them in the notes. It's not as though they went really widespread. Um, I think you were just giving an honest answer. They're warm-up matches that ultimately doesn't make a, make a difference at all. Yeah, um, but dare I say that Australia may be a little bit complacent after their World Cup win last year. They seem to have that this kind of swagger, oh, you know, we've cracked the code, don't worry about us. And, you know, little things like maybe carrying, say, Aaron Finch, who's not in 100% form. I don't know, I just worry that Australia's a bit complacent, you know, blaming fatigue against England. And, yeah, it's making me nervous. I don't think they're complacent at all. I, I think that that would be extraordinary if they were because, the, you know, the pressure is big. They would know that, that it's a home World Cup. They're expected to to win it or go very close to winning it. Um, I don't think there's any complacency. However, I agree with you that the, the decision to not drop Finch, whether you call that complacency or just um, sort of lack of ruthlessness, we've spoken about it at length on this podcast that as much as I like him and I want him to do well and he still might do well, I, I don't think he's currently in our best eight batters, so I wouldn't have picked him. And I think it's a disappointing thing that the selectors did, although he did um, play well against India today. But I don't think you'd call that complacency. I, there's probably another word for it, um, you know, lack of ruthlessness, I would say. Mm. Would Bill Belichick have stuck with Finch? I don't think so. No. Um, and I love that you're, you're riffing off my points because I think it was a few am- weeks ago I said, would Alex Ferguson stick with Finch? <laughs> and he said, no. I mean, <laughs> and look, nothing would give me greater pleasure than if at the end of the World Cup we could clip that little bit there and put it next to Finch getting 100 in the, in the final and winning it for us. I'd be absolutely delighted if that would happen. And then in the uh, T20 World Cup itself, we had uh, – sorry – someone at the door. Uh, in the T20 World Cup itself, we had two results. Um, Namibia beat Sri Lanka already. Um, so an incredible start to the the tournament. Uh, just a huge upset. Um, what did you think of the match, Paul? Um, yeah, I didn't get to watch all of it, but I watched um, the concluding stages and I was following it along all the time. And, um, you know, I gave Namibia a, um, a real chance. I had a little bit of money on them before the match and then I felt like an idiot um, when they were th- sort of 15 overs in. Sri Lanka had reduced them to shambles and it was, it was quite an extraordinary comeback from – I got the shock of my life when I, life when I checked back down and saw that they'd scored 160-odd. Um, and then Sri Lanka never got close to it. And then the second game uh, between Namibia and the Netherlands, both sides struggled to get much more than 100. So it wasn't the easiest pitch to bat on. But Namibia showed what they showed a year ago, that they are a quality, decent sort of side. They, they remind me a little bit of Ireland or Scotland, that they, they rarely are going to put in a terrible performance. They are, they're pretty good. They've got some, 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 some South African players in there. They, they, they're, they're a pretty decent side. And any top side up against them, if they're not on their game, they could make it a, they could make it a match. But really disappointing for Sri Lanka. Um, I still think that they could do something in this tournament. Realistically, they should still get through um, into the into the group stage and maybe they could do something. They, they won the Asia Cup. Um, they'll be getting better with the conditions as the tournament progresses, but a disastrous start, no doubt. I was surprised how poor Sri Lanka were in that effort. I, I thought coming off the Asian Cup, they'd, they'd at least be, I don't know, a little bit more competitive. But, uh, you know, what, what was impressive was Namibia's finish to their batting innings. They got off to a slow start. But in that last 10 overs, they found the boundary a lot. Um, I think it was JJ Smith uh, was, was hitting the ball really well. And uh, they just... I could tell once they got above 140 on that Cardinia Park pitch, it was always going to be tough to chase because it does slow up and get hard to score runs. So really impressive for them. Um, Yeah, so, uh, you know, a good start. The Dutch beat the UAE in the second game, a tight game, and again on the same pitch, but um, not, not quite as impressive the Dutch against the UAE. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, they're um, probably the, the two sides least favoured to do well in that. But I think that um, um, it was a it was a topsy turvy sort of game that one. That that for for long parts of the Dutch innings, they had looked like they had the game absolutely shot to bits. They're chasing such a small total, they got out of the blocks quickly, and then they kind of got marooned, and they looked like they were going well again, and then lost a couple of wickets, and then. At the end, the, the UAE really should have won it. They they got it to kind of a, a point where they had the game in the bag, and I think they just showed a little bit of nerves by they, they probably needed to cluster the the batter a little bit more, uh, take the risk that a few boundaries would be hit, and then choke them and 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 ice the game. They just kept on allowing them to tick along at six and over, and they, and they got across the line. So yeah, pretty pretty exciting end to the to the first day. Yeah, very exciting. And um, as we record this, Scotland are on the, the verge of beating the West Indies. Um, so I'll, I'll update you as we record. It always plays well in podcasting. But before we get into our preview, Paul, I just wanted to um, uh, update the listeners in the commentary lineup we're going to hear for the next month or so because the ICC released their full commentary list. Now, um, for those watching on YouTube, you can see I put it up. For those listening, I'm going to just run through it with the well, I'll do the first half, Paul, and you can pick up from Michael Clark. So um, Adam Gilchrist, Atta Ali Khan, Bazid Khan, Brian Murgatroyd, Carlos Brathwaite, Dale Stain, Danny Morrison, Dirk Nanis, Owen Morgan, Harsha Bogley, Ian Bishop, Ian Smith, Isha Gua, Mark Howard, Mel Jones, Mike Atherton. Michael Clark, Nasser Hussain, Natalie Germanis, Niall O'Brien, Pommy Mbangwa, Preston Momsen, Ravi Shastri, Russell Arnold, Samuel Badri, Shane Watson, Sean Pollock, Simon Dool, Sunil Gavaskar. Yeah, and I've just got a few takeaways from that commentary lineup. I really like it. I think it's got a really good balanced feel to it. Um, commentators from all over the world. I always get a surprise when uh, Michael Clark pops up in a commentary lineup because, you know, he, he, he's struggles to get you know a job in australia he you know you know he's just not the most popular guy here but whenever there's an icc tournament uh, he seems to get into the list of commentators Mm, yeah, it's very true. Um, wasn't that long ago, wasn't it, when they sort of had a, a, the Australian summer, there was a colossal list across all of um, radio and television, the various different networks, and they added it all up. And I don't know how many there were, but he wasn't in it. Yeah, you're right. Um, he does still get um, – he's more popular abroad than he is at home, it seems. Yeah, you're right, Paul, because there's like three radio stations in Australia that cover the cricket sometimes. There's, uh, you know, two TV networks, if you count – so and he can't get a job with any of them. Uh, well suppose, done. Just to, to, to yeah. be fair to him, I suppose in in recent times, given that he's on the on the the big sports breakfast on two K or on Sky Radio, whatever it's called, um, he probably couldn't go on to another radio network. That's true. Um, uh, you know, well done. I, you know, there's a few people there, but you know, Mark Howard and Brian Murgatroyd, great to see them getting a go um, on. You know, being very you know highly skilled broadcasters. You know, amongst a lot of ex cricketers, and uh, oh, you know, I think Shane Watson is a commentator to watch. Uh, he, he he wouldn't immediately jump out at you as someone who's going to be a great commentator, but you know. I actually think he's a very studious, very thorough uh, person, and I think he will be. I think he'll actually be a pretty good commentator. I hear you. He could get along the lines of kind of the, the Ricky Ponting, Gary Neville um, from football kind of commentator, um, ex player whose technical knowledge of the game just is so superior that it makes him worth listening to. I could hear you on that, but I, I just, from what I've heard of him so far, I, you know. Um, I think he's got that potential, but I'd like him to sort of only speak when he's really got something to say, which is kind of against the modern trend. The modern trend, I think that if they if they're silent for more than two seconds, if they're not saying, you know, geez, Australia really wants a wicket here, or uh, Aaron Finch would like to score some runs today, or something like that, then then they get in trouble. I, I, you know, I think sometimes there's a little bit of the Richie Benno needs to come back into it and just calm down and only say something when you've got something to say. But I, I think the lineup overall can't complain. There's there's not really anyone in there that I have to mute it for. Um, Any favourites? Uh, the favourites, as always, Atherton and Hussein are the two best commentators in the world. Um, and I also really like uh, Ian Smith. I'm pleased he's back because I know that he's got a, a job on SEN, so he's kind of um, not commentating as much as he used to. I like Bazard Khan. I've always liked him. Um, and... Uh, 
there's no one there I really can't stand. Who else do I really like? Simon Dool. Um, <laughs> I quite like him as well. Um, but, yeah, most of them, they're, they're, they're pretty good, pretty inoffensive, I'd say. Good. Well, as usual, I'll be watching most of the cricket on mute. Uh, so it won't really matter. <laughs> All right. Now let's get into our World Cup preview. So uh, obviously we've got the preliminary stages now. And, you know, Paul and I are just going to cover Group 1 and Group 2 and the eight teams that have qualified. I guess before we do that, Paul, are there any teams you could think that can win from the preliminary stage? Because I actually don't think there is. Well, there's a few less than they were yesterday, given that Sri Lanka and West Indies haven't really started all that well. And they the would West have been Indies the first. Lost. Right. right well, that's congratulations to Scotland. Um, uh, yes, first... the Scottish. When I first arrived ever, first time in Scotland with my now wife, then girlfriend, and we met her cousins, and they'd been pre-warned that I was a big cricket fan. And the first thing they said is, you know, you'll not be seeing any cricket pictures up here. And I said, what's that? And they were, oh. That's the only cricket pitch around. And I was like, oh, that's a terrible Scottish accent. But um, uh, so, so I'm sure. Did it though. <laughs> I'm sure they're absolutely dancing in the streets at Glasgow tonight. Um, and, uh, or this so, morning. Yeah. yeah, congratulations. I'm sure it's um, absolutely rocking the world of Scotland. Um, but, you know, absolutely. Uh, there are more Scottish cricket fans than you think. A few times I've been at the Ashes in England, I've sat next to someone who's um, turned out to be from Scotland. So there's a small but passionate fan, group of fans up there. So good on them. Um, sad for the West Indies, uh, but good on Scotland. Uh, so, so yeah, do you think any team can win from preliminary? Because I don't. I just want to I mean, get you on record. No, I agree. I mean, but you can never say never. But, I mean, no. I don't expect any team to win. Okay, good. All right, so let's do um, well, Group 1 and Group 2. Group 1 is Afghanistan, Australia, England, New Zealand. Group 2 is Bangladesh, India, Pakistan and South Africa. I think we'll do Group 1 first, then we'll do Group 2. Uh, I asked Paul um, in preparing to mount a case for why each team could win and why they couldn't win as well as look at their records um, recently. So, uh, Paul, take it away with Group 1. And right at the last moment, I realised men has also asked me for um, how they'd gone since the last World Cup. And I said, where did you get that from? And I thought maybe he'd give me a link, and he just replied, Crick Info. So um, I actually had to manually count them up. So thanks for that, men. That was, that was well, I had fun. to go in and Crick Info to StatsGuru and do each team individually, like select the date, the day after the World Cup final to the, you know, the most recent date and do it that way. Oh, okay. No, I thought there was an article you had. No, no I did. No, I if I had a shortcut, I would have given it to you. <laughs> I did the same like thing. Holding just... information. No, I, I thought you were. Uh, I did the same <laughs> thing, but just on house stat. I think it probably took me half as long. So anyway, um, England. Um, <laughs> now, are we going to read the squads out? Yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe just. Okay, sure. You just, yeah. I don't think right. read the squads out. Just maybe pick a few players you think. But All right. So anyway, since. Um, in 2021, topped their group, then lost the semi. Bit unlucky. Um, they were probably the team of the tournament. Had to bat first against New Zealand. Batting first in those conditions was never good. Interestingly, since that, now that I've done the stat, we might as well use it. Since the 2021 World Cup, played 21, won 10, lost 10, um, won no result. It's not the, quite as good a result as a, as a record as I would have expected from England. But nevertheless, I think that they are probably the the second favourites for the tournament. Butler, Milan and Hales, three really top players. Milan um, has just been in great form for, for a really long time. Harry Brook is one to look out for. Um, averaging 35 with a strike rate of 150 in T20 cricket. Phenomenal record, but hasn't really been able to do the job in Australia. I think that must be an anomaly and he'll have to come good at some stage. Another one with superpower, Liam Livingston, a strike rate of 146. Phil Salt, a strike rate of 150. So those six batters that I've just named then, and then you throw in Moen Ali and Ben Stokes as well. Uh, you've got some superb batting in there. Um, I, I kind of thought is Moen Ali getting on a little bit, but he's looked pretty good in Australia so far. Always been one of my um, most favourite most favorite players, but um be interesting to see how he'll get. Interesting to see um, if Stokes plays in every game. It's incredible that that's how good their side is, that he might even get squeezed out. The interesting thing for me is their bowling. And you've made this point before, Menas, and I really kind of agree with you. Um, you look at their bowling, it's pretty good. Uh, and some of their quicks, Wokes, Wood, uh, Jordan, Topley, Willie, they're all pretty good. But Wokes, phenomenal bowler in England, 
disastrous in Australia. The other night in Canberra when he got English conditions, he showed what he could do. He looked fantastic, but that's the only time he's ever looked good in Australia. Wood is the interesting one that he's just, well, like all these super quick bowlers, he gets smashed everywhere or he could win you a game. And then Chris Jordan's had this huge reputation as being the ISA, you know, the finisher. And um, I've seen him do some good things, but I'm not sure if he's quite as highly regarded. He's got overall economy rate of 8.6, which is not so great. Then Topley looks a clever bowler. Reminds me a bit kind of in a sort of way of Kane Richardson, a sort of the guy that bowls lots of clever slower balls and does lots of clever things, but still gets hit around a little bit. Again, economy rate 8.2, not all that inspiring. So uh, why, why will they win it? I think they're close to the best. I think they're pound for pound, probably the second best team in the tournament. And why they won't win, I'm just a bit concerned with those um, those quicks. Um, I didn't mention Adil Rashid. He's a fine fine spinner. But if they if they don't win it, I think it'll be because of their quick bowling. Yeah, I thought the English bowling in the series against Australia was impressive. Um, so they've probably gone up a couple of notches. But, uh, yeah, really good uh, wrap-up of the English team. All right, the next team in Group 1. All right, so New Zealand, last World Cup, um, lost the final to Australia, having beaten England in the semis. Um, you know, had to bat first, which was a disadvantage. But um, since the last World Cup, they've played 18, won 12 and lost six. Uh, interesting names of them, uh, Kane Williamson. I find it fascinating how it wasn't that long ago that everyone was talking about the big four in test cricket of Williamson, Smith, Root and Coley. And that in T20 cricket, they're all kind of going down the same path, some further than others. I mean, Root's long gone out of the um, England setup. Um, Smith's on the borderline of being um, out of the Australian 11. There's a lot of questions about Williamson's position in the side, and Coley's not the dominant figure that he once was, but he's obviously still the you know the preeminent one of those in, um, in T20 cricket. So uh, interesting how Williamson will fit in, but they do have some superpower. And I've talked about Finn Allen before on this podcast, but to have a, um, a strike rate of 172, which is 10 more than... Um, Tim David, which is what you know, ten more than Glenn Maxwell, which I thought was previously about as high as you could get. That's amazing. Uh, I can't believe that he's not a certain starter in their side. Uh, Glenn Phillips, a strike rate of 141. Uh, they've got some super power hitting. Conway's all class. Um, Nisham can smash it as well. He's got a strike rate of 142. Mitchell's pretty good. And then they've got Guptill, who's kind of like a little bit in the Aaron Finch category, fine player, but maybe not quite at the top of his game. But that batting, if it clicks, is um, is really, really powerful. Um, and then their quick bowling um, – Ferguson and Milne, very quick bowlers. And their economy are at 7.6, each of them in T20 cricket. That's better than I expected when I looked it up. Um, Southie's going to be interesting. I think he's a very improved T20 bowler. Um, I saw a New Zealand fan the other day saying that he wouldn't pick him because he doesn't think he's suited to Australian pitches. Possibly a fair point. Um, they've got a, um, obviously Trent Bolt is they're out and out number one quick, and um, I think he'll have a great tournament. They've got a few spinners to choose from. I think Santner will play. Ish Sodi I've seen do really well in the um, in the Big Bash before. Uh, they've got Michael Bracewell, who's um, an offie who incidentally can bat really well, averaging 32, strike rate of 135. Uh, just on figures, the early days, uh, um, a bowling economy, economy rate of 6.6. I think it would be interesting. If I was New Zealand, I'd be tempted to load up a little bit on the spin and say spin dominates the big bash. Um, we, are, we can afford to take a bit of a gamble. All these sides that are going to go in pace heavy because it's Australia, maybe um, if the big bash form from recent years holds true, you're better off going in with a few more spinners. So why they can win, genuine firepower with the bat. And if they, you know, they've got a, as I just described, a pretty decent sort of set of bowlers. Why they wouldn't win, I suppose, if you're being brutally honest, if they had to play Australia or England or India and either of those three sides play to their absolute best, I think their upside is slightly higher than New Zealand's. But uh, I, I think New Zealand have a real chance of, of, um, of winning this tournament. I heard Kane Williamson uh, saying that there's a few injury concerns around Ferguson and Daryl Mitchell. I think Mitchell had a really good, was it World Cup, T20 World Cup, or, or really good? No, he had a really good tour of England last yes, year. Yes, he did, yeah. Um, so he's a player who, who might come good in this tournament and they'd want him to be fit. But I agree with your assessment of New Zealand, another good side. Um, all right, then the, the last two teams in the group, Afghanistan and Australia. Uh, I'll stick with Australia first. Uh, so, of course, we won in 2021 um, from from nowhere with, with the, the advantage of batting second in both the semi and the final. Since then, played 17, 10 wins, six losses and one no result. Um, I, I still think, and I might be proven completely wrong, I, I think Australia is the best side in the tournament, especially in Australian conditions. And I just look at that lineup of uh, just sort of thinking of the power and class of David, 
Wade, Marsh, Stoinis, and Warner. Those five could all win a match for you. Uh, I don't think Inglis is necessarily going to feature, but he's a very fine player as well. Uh, Finch got some runs today against India. Presumably he's going to play. Uh, you know, he, he might come good. He's still a he's still a decent player. And I haven't even mentioned Steve Smith. So I, I think that's a, a very, very powerful um, batting lineup. With the ball, with the ball, Adam Zamper, I think, is pretty reliable. My one concern is just um, – oh, and I didn't um, – I didn't mention Maxwell, did I, in, the, in that batting list? Well, there you go. You can forget Glenn Maxwell. That's how um, that's how um, awesome they are. I know that he's not in the greatest. He's probably got 20-odd or something today. But um, um, looking at the bowling, I'm just – I'm not sure if Australia have it right in that – and everyone said this going into the last World Cup. You know, here's Australia disrespecting the format. They've just picked their bloody Test 11, <laughs> the Test bowling lineup for the World Cup. And then they went and won the darn thing, which is like, how cool is that? Um but uh, in Australian conditions, you'd think, well, that's even more log- logical. You might as well pick the, the test bowling line because they're so fantastic. I've just been a little bit unimpressed with Hazelwood in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, oh, come I, on. You can't, you can't knock Hazelwood on this podcast. I never knock Hazelwood. I, I'm entitled to knock Hazelwood because I'm one of his biggest supporters. Um, but I just think just in the last couple of weeks, I've lost a tiny bit of confidence. Now, that's still not much. I still think he's a fantastic bowler, but he's just been taken apart a little bit too easily for me. Same with Cummins. Um, both, uh, you know, if I'm picking my World Test 11, they're in it. Uh, and I, I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the side, but I just slight question mark um, uh, over them. And I think that Stark always has, a, um, you know, a little bit of a question mark and also an exclamation mark. He'll win you the tournament or maybe um, go the other way. I wonder whether Australia might regret at the end of the tournament that they probably won't go very much with spin. And I think that Ashton Agar bowled today, got through four overs, so presumably his injury's gone. I think he should be um, given consideration for a spot in the 11. So uh, why can they win it? I think that they are pound for pound just the best players, just the best um, side of the tournament. Uh, why won't they win? Well, you know, um, knockout games, anything can happen. And maybe that question mark I said over there bowling. And also Finch and um, Maxwell, and to an extent, uh, Finch and Maxwell not in the greatest of form. There's a little bit of a question mark there as well. Yep, another great assessment. Uh, yeah, the guys today on the show I was on were saying they thought Ellis was unlucky not to to, to make it into the squad, and I wonder if you know he, he'd be a stronger option than Cummins in just a specialist. Um, yes. All right. I kind of last I, name. I, just, Sorry, yeah, I, I agree with I agree with that. It's, it, it sounds um, like heresy to say it because Cummins is just fantastic, but I. You know, if I'm watching and it's the a key game in the World Cup and Ellis is running into bowl, as an Australian fan, I'm feeling more confident than if Cummins was there. So, yeah, we, I've said it many times in this podcast. I would have Green and Ellis in the squad ahead of Finch and um, someone, probably Richardson, um, and then definitely get Ellis into the 11. But the squad that they've got is still very, very good. Uh, Afghanistan um, were slightly disappointing in the last World Cup. I think there was a feeling that in those conditions in the UAE, this could have been their breakout tournament. Uh they only finished fourth in Group 2. The only two teams they beat were Scotland and Namibia, the two qualifying teams. So they were exciting to watch. I remember the game they played against Pakistan with a big stadium, you know, big crowd in attendance, and they were kind of like really going for it. That was um, When you factor in their tremendously exciting batting plus their quality of spin bowling, they're very easy on the eye side to watch. Um, so they've got um, Zadran, Gurbaz, and Zazai, um, the sort of the bulk of their batting. They've got Ibrahim Zadran, a young player who's um, uh, also coming in, who is good. But the, the, the key, obviously, is their their spin. They've got Mohamed Nabi, Rashid Khan, and Majib. So um, you've got potentially 12 pretty fantastic overs out of them. It's going to be very interesting watching them play Australia at the Adelaide Oval. Um, some of the Aussies might actually be cheering on Rashid Khan. Uh, I've got a couple of younger quicks, um, Faruqi and um, Farid Ahmed Malik. Um, so... I suppose, why would they win? I mean, it's stretching it a bit. No one expects them to win. But if they were to win, I suppose you'd look back and say, maybe it was a tournament that really did favour spin bowling and their spin bowling is, is possibly the best of them all. And they do have that aggressive batting intent that can mean that in sometimes in T20 cricket, you get on a bit of a roll. Um, you can 
ride your luck and do plenty of exciting things. So uh, why won't they win? I suppose they're not quite um, as consistent or as good as the best teams. But one of these days, they are going to have a breakout tournament. They've got such talent that they could um, you know, go all the way to a semi-final or a final. I don't think it's going to be this one. Um, but kind of as a cricket fan, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be disappointed if they did. Yeah, I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm having a bit of a sort of moral dilemma with the Afghanistan team at the moment. I I need to sort of come to some place of, you know, where I make it, I just, you know, I read some articles about, you know, girls being banned from schools in Afghanistan and I just wonder if they have a place in international cricket going forward and I, I really need to do some more research to make a sort of a proper sort of formed opinion on this, but it does make me uneasy. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I would agree with you. I, I, yeah, it's, um, um, yeah I, it, it's something that maybe at one stage in the future, if we get uh, kind of a, an expert on the podcast, I'd, I'd value their opinion. Yeah, um, Craig Foster, the football broadcaster who does a lot of work with refugees, is recording in the studio this week. I'm going to try and ask him about it, even if he won't come on, just to try and get some background, Who, it's someone who knows about this a bit more. Mm. Um, anyway, great preview of Group 1. So the Afghanistan, Australia, England and New Zealand. I'll do Group 2 and then I think um, Paul and I will pick our you know, two semi-finalists from each group and then two possible finalists. So um, I'll start with Bangladesh in Group 2. In the 2021 T20 World Cup, five losses. Since then, they've played 19 games, just won four with 14 losses. So they've been in terrible form. Um Afif Hussain um, is only twenty years is only twenty three years old and he's been their leading run scorer in T Twenty cricket um, since the last World Cup. But he's only striking around one hundred and twenty. He'll need to maintain that form, as will Lytton Das, their wicketkeeper, who's a handy T Twenty player. Uh, but you look at their squad; it's, it's pretty thin. Um, you know, Musadek Hussain, uh, their off spinner, he's probably their strongest bowler. Um, he only concedes at about around seven runs and over across 120 T20. So that's a pretty good um, career. Shakib Hassan obviously is another one to watch, uh, but it's a pretty thin squad. I think if they were to win, it would be because. You know, teams can get on a run in T20 cricket, but there's absolutely nothing to suggest that they would go on that run. And why why they won't win is they they don't have enough pace with the ball. Um, they're very thin on quick bowlers, and they lack quality uh, with the bat. Uh, and they they come in in bad form, and I can't see that changing. I got to say, yeah, they don't feel like they're quite the sort of side they were uh, several years ago when they felt like they were really kind of. Um, making strong strides, so yeah, hopefully they hopefully they surprise. Yeah, so I didn't really run through a lot of their plays, but they're captained by Shakib Al Hussain, um, uh, Mustafiza Rahman has done well in patches um, in limited overs cricket. Sumia Saka, we've seen do good things against Australia. Um, Taskin Ahmed, uh, handy, but but overall, as I said, just nothing to suggest they'll be challenging. And in fact, some of these uh, teams in the preliminary stages look even better than the Bangladesh side. Um, all right, so moving along to India, well, captained by Rohit Sharma. Uh, I guess the, the big um, talking points around their squad were. The fact that uh, Ravi Jadeja and Jasper Bumrah are both out injured, so I think they will be missed. Um, in the last T20 World Cup, they were they won three and lost two, and they did lose to Pakistan, and uh, it's the first time they've lost to Pakistan in an ICC event for a very, I think, ever actually to that point. Mm. Um, since the T20 World Cup, they've been in outstanding form, thirty five matches. 26 wins and just eight losses. That's a winning percentage of 3.25. So stunning uh, run for India. And I look at their squad and they do have all their bases covered. You know, Sharma, Rahul, Kohli, um, Rishabh Pant, Hardik Pandya, you know, power with the bat. Then with the ball, Mohamed Shami has just come into the squad and looks outstanding. Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, um, spinners Ashwin and Chahal, Aksa Patel, the all-rounder. I mean, they just look like a really well-balanced squad. But, you know, the player I picked out to watch out for is Surya Surya Kumar Yadav. Sky. What did I say? 
No, you, I was saying his nickname, Sky. Sky, yes, exactly. Um, the, his strike rate in T20 cricket is 177. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Since the last T20 World Cup, he's scored 864 runs at an average almost 40, striking at 180. Um, so he'll be really difficult difficult to stop. Bhuvaneshwar Kumar has been their leading wicket taker since the last World Cup, 35 wickets. Harsha Patel with 26 wickets and Chahal with 22. Uh, Aksa Patel with 22. So just they've got all the bases covered. Um, and I, I think they will be um, really hard to stop. You know, we've seen them get a lot of support in Australia with fans. So, um, yeah, just, just got every base covered. That's why I think they'll win. Why they won't win, I think Ravi Jadeja is a, is a, a big injury. Uh, I think he would have done really well in this tournament. Um, so he's missing. Uh, sometimes they can be a bit conservative with the bat at the top of the order. K.O. Rahul, Virat Kohli can take a little bit of time to get going. But I'm just, you know, I'm picking really small little spots there because I think this Indian team are a monster. Um. Yeah, I think that they are, as I said, along with Australia and England, deserving of being one of the three favourites. Um, just so that we're comparing like with like, your uh, figure for Surya Kumar Yadav, that's him in T20 internationals. All the figures I've been giving have been in just T20 overall. His strike rate in T20 overall is 147, still fantastic. Um, there's been a fair bit of speculation among Indian fans about the position of Shami and of Boovy in the side, which is interesting because today <laughs> Boovy's taken uh, two for 20 off three and Shami um, um, three for one off, uh, three for four off one. So you say on in the, in the warm-up game today, they did fantastically well. I do think there's a little bit of a question though over their quick bowling and obviously they're going to miss uh, Boomer significantly. Um, you know, I, I'm just not, absolutely convinced that their quick bowling is the um, is as good as it needs to be. But that's probably the only weakness. And I agree with you that occasionally they have the tendency to be a little bit conservative. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point with losing Bumrah. But uh, if, if Shami's uh, performance was anything to go by, he looks in good form. Ashdeep Singh, I guess, didn't bowl that well against Australia today. And he actually doesn't have the pace of some of the other bowlers. So he might get targeted if he's not careful. Um, so that was um, India now to their fierce rivals, Pakistan, captained by Barbara Azam. And you could make a, a case um, that they are, you know, in that sort of favourites category, having won all five group stage games in the last T20 World Cup, but they lost to Australia in the semi-final where Matt Wade famously hit 41 not out of 17 balls to steal it. So, you know, unlucky for Pakistan in the last tournament. Uh, Shadab Khan, um, uh, leg spinner, I think, is another player to watch. Uh, but, but what I like about this Pakistan squad, a bit like India, got a really good mix of high-quality batters, quality spin, and Ex- exceptional fast bowling. Harris Ralph, since the last T20 World Cup, has taken 28 wickets at an average of 21.57, economy 7.82. We've seen him do well for Australia in the big bash, and I think the bouncy pitches will suit him here. Um, Narwaz, their left arm orthodox spinner, their second leading wicket taker, another exceptional T20 cricketer. His economy of 7.68 is very good for a spinner. And then, you know, coming back from injuries, Shaheen Shah Afridi, who we've seen uh, put in exceptional performances in all formats of the game. But, you know, he's a bit like the Mitchell Stark of the Pakistan outfit. Um, so, you know, really good bowling. And then they're led by a couple of fine T20 players. Mohammad Rizwan, maybe the form T20 player in the world, in 24 matches since the last T20 World Cup has scored 1,114 runs at an average of 53, strike rate of 127. Barbara Azam, 724 runs at a strike rate of 128. So they're the real shining lights for the Pakistan batting. Uh, you know, Iftikhar Ahmed is an, uh, will back them up. Fakhar Zaman might play. Um, so I really like this Pakistan side. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, continue the good form they showed in the last T20 World Cup. Um so I think their fast bowling and their top order is why they could win the tournament. 
while they won't, why they wouldn't, sorry, is I think their fielding might get um, found out a little bit on the big grounds of Australia. And I worry about some of their middle-order players against the against the um, extra bounce of Australian pitchers. Uh, but, again, I think this Pakistan side is a very good one. Yeah, I think you under, underestimate them at your peril. And uh, my expectation is that they, along with India, are probably the two likely semi-finalists um, out of this group. I'd, I'd put Pakistan sort of um, probably bracketing with New Zealand as, as fourth favourite for the tournament overall. Mm, interesting. I didn't didn't notice Mohammed Hasnain is in the squad, who's had some question marks over his action in the past. I've actually seen him bowling at uh, the showgrounds for in the Big Bash, and he's a really lightning quick bowler. Um, but just be interesting whether his um, action might come under the microscope during this tournament. And then my final team in Group Two. So we've done Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. Now we finish it with South Africa who in the last World Cup won four matches, uh, lost one, and then missed out on the semifinals on, on net run rate. Um, they're captained by Temba Bavuma. Quinton de Kock comes back into the side for the white ball stuff. Uh, Reza Hendricks is another good T20 player. Heinrich Klassen, uh, Aidan Markram, David Miller, very powerful with the bat. I like their spinners, Ke- Keshav Maharaj and Tabrez Shamsi. And then they've got exceptional fast bowling. I mean, Enric Norkia, Kagizo Rabada, Marco Janssen. Just keep naming them. You would not want to be facing these guys. Um, yeah, David Miller, probably the most dangerous dangerous with the bat. In the 13 matches South Africa have played since the last World Cup, he's striking at 186. Uh, Riley Russo striking at 180. In those 13 matches, South Africa won seven and lost five. So not terrible form. Um, Ningidi was their leading wicket taker, but then I said Rabada, Parnell, uh, Marco Yanton, Norkia uh, back it up. And uh, why they will win is their exceptional fast bowling and their big hitters. I think they don't have kind of the, the class that some of the other batting lineups have, but they've got the power. And, you know, we've seen in T20 tournaments, if you can get on a run, that can that can be the difference, the power. And, and why they wouldn't win is um, they just choke in big tournaments. So, I mean, that's why they wouldn't win. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have them as my sixth favourite overall. So I'm not expecting them to make the semifinals, uh, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if they did. I kind of agree with you that they're very decent side, but maybe player for player, um, maybe the second half of their, you know, if you, if you listed their batters from best to worst, the second half of their batters might not be as good as the second half of the batting lineup of some of the other sides. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that they come into the tournament with a lot less expect, lost, lot less expectations than they have in the past. Um, eventually, they're, they're going to win one of these. Um, I don't think it'll be this one, but who knows. All right, so that's uh, Group 2. Now, Paul, let's go back to Group 1. Afghanistan, Australia, England, New Zealand. Who are the two teams you think will make it to the semifinals? Um, oh, I think pretty boring answer, but I'll say Australia and England. Uh, with a special mention that New Zealand wouldn't surprise me at all if they made it. Um, put it this way: if if it was if it was if the format was like the 2019 World Cup, where everyone played everyone, I probably would tip New Zealand to make the semis. I just think they're a bit unlucky to have both Australia and England in their group. All right. So for Group One, I think Australia. Oh, sorry, I think England and New Zealand will make it out of the group. England and New Zealand. I don't think Australia will progress in this uh, tournament. Um, I mean, you know, I think England, uh, you ran through their side really well, um, uh, will be tough to beat under Butler. And I I just think right off New Zealand are your peril, listeners, because uh, they keep performing in big tournaments. No one ever gives them a chance. And so I think England and New Zealand will make it out. I think Australia will lose a few close games, and that will cost them. I think that – I wouldn't say they were lucky in the last World Cup, but they 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 got over the line in some tight situations, and I don't think it'll happen in this tournament. 
yeah, they played really well in the last World Cup. But, yeah, I wouldn't say they were lucky. I suppose it's turn of phrase. They had the luck with them a little bit. Um, uh, will I invite you to to echo your uh, opinion ahead of the last World Cup? You, the Sheffield Shield's on. They can play. You said last time Australia shouldn't even turn up. They should just play at the Sheffield Shield. Do you, <laughs> do you stand by that this time around? <laughs> uh, no, because I think we have to, we have a duty to put out our best side at home. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to go on record saying we can't win this one because we have a, a, better, a much more settled side than we did last World Cup. But yeah, I can't see us getting out of the group. Group two, now Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, South Africa. I think... I'm tipping Pakistan and South Africa to get out of this group. Um, I just like both those teams. I think South Africa's fast bowling is going to just blow some teams away. And, uh, yeah, I think Pakistan and South Africa to make it out of the group. I think India will go close, but I think they'll lose to South Africa and Pakistan, and that'll ultimately be the difference. Yeah, you could be right. Um, they were disappointing last World Cup India, but I, I think again, I'm going to go with the boring prediction and tip the two favourites. So I think India and Pakistan are my two to come out of this group. Okay, and I'm picking to win it, uh, Pakistan or New Zealand. Um, well, for what it's worth, I suppose uh, I, I'm tipping um, the old firm to win the two semis and it to be an Australia England final, and I'm tipping Australia Ooh. to win. I like it. Well, that'll cheer up the Australian listeners. All right, well, that was our World Cup preview. Anything you want to add about the tournament before we get into Can't Let It Go, Paul? Uh, No, I've got one thing that I'm going to add, but I think it is in Can't Let It Go. So, yeah, um, bring it on. All right. Well, uh, let's get into Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news that you just can't let go through to the keeper. Paul, take it away. All right, two things. Um, right, number one, again, un- file this under first world problems. I, I just find it. <laughs> <laughs> I find it weird that they don't, as a matter of course, always have up during the runs chase how many runs are required off how many balls. I sent this out on Twitter, and someone had a go at me saying, "Oh, couldn't you work it out from the available data?" Yes, I can. I can multiply by six and subtract and all, do all those um, uh, sorts of things. But I, you know, I don't really watch cricket to, to have a little maths test. I just think it would be. Um, and they, towards the end, they have it up in big things, you know, 38 off 23. But when I'm watching a game, especially, but not exclusively, in the second half of the second innings, I'm looking at that all the time. And I'm always, you know, okay, right, is it to a ball yet? Is it um, just still 10 and over? I, I want that up there permanently, and it irritates me that it's not. Are you with me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a first world problem, as, and I've got a first world problem as well for you while we're whinging about little things. Uh, the Cricket Australia app has updated their their app, and they used to have it you could just scroll down and see all the fixtures, but now they've got it so each date they have fixtures on a sort of a gallery panel. So you can't scroll down and see all the fix, fixtures. You scroll down one date, then you have to scroll across to see all the fixtures on that date. Then you keep scrolling, whereas before you could just scroll down and see all the fixtures. And uh, it's really annoying. No, I'm with you. Um, it's often the case that the actual um, where you think the source of truth should be for one of these tournaments, you have to go away from it because they've got too many bells and whistles. Uh, I want a really boring text format for formats for for, for, for fixtures with as um, you know no graphics, just so you can actually see it. But you know, I suppose they've got to have um, make it pretty showy. But yeah, uh, look, I think we can march on Parliament House on both those issues. And um, I'm going to march on Jollymon. You know, march on Jollymont and take the headquarters away from Melbourne. They've been there too long. Exactly. Um, uh, it's demanding an overly familiar, uh, too much familiarity with Melbourne suburbs to use Jollymont as a, as a sort of a, uh, a proxy term for Cricket Australia, which they tend to do. But, yes, to move on to other big first world issues, it really annoys me that Channel 9, uh, judging by what they're going with the first game, Australia versus New Zealand, it's only going to be shown on GEM. And I don't understand this. So GEM is Channel 9's... Um, secondary network and people would say well you know everyone can turn it on but for some people on foxtel gems not if you're used to just watching it through foxtel gems a, a pain in the neck to get to and also in pubs and clubs around australia if you if you want to really ruin your night walk into a pub and say hey could you get gem on for me and they'll look at you as if to say what um just put it on channel nine how could australia versus new zealand 
in the first game of a World Cup at the Sydney Cricket Ground not warrant being on the primary network? What the hell are Channel 7 doing? Is this they're, they're still Channel angry nine. at cricket? Uh, yeah, Channel 9. Well, are they still angry at cricket because they parted ways with them a few years ago? Um, you know, Kerry Packer would never have allowed this. Can't do anything but agree with you, Paul. It's a bloody travesty. A bloody it's a joke. It's a joke, I tell you. All right, now Mike can't let it go. I've got a couple. Uh, firstly, just just you know, I want to put out there. So I clipped on Twitter. I was watching the cricket today, the T Twenty World Cup, and there was they they went away to the crowd and it had a, a toddler falling over the edge of a. Uh, a sort of fence and the, the dad running after the toddler panicked. And, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's got, you know, a few people are commenting it on Twitter. Um, I think we can all um, relate to having toddlers and taking her off them for a minute. But I hope the mother doesn't see this because the dad is in trouble if she does. All right, Mike, can't let it go. Um, on the weekend, cricket everywhere in Sydney. So it didn't rain for, you know, a couple of days. Um, so it was fantastic um, to see that. Um, so I love, you know, I love seeing um, all the club games and all the school cricket and, uh, yeah, just just love that. You know, every summer when you, you first see that um, just warms your heart. And, uh, yeah, the sun, you know, COVID, you know, messed up the beginning of last year. Rain's not doing many favours for them this year, but glad to see them playing. And my second can't let it go is I heard Lisa Stalaker on ABC Radio talking about the WBBL being conscious of not getting complacent. The fact that, you know, we saw with the Big Bash how quickly the market caught up and then overtook the Big Bash. And Lisa was saying the WBBL has to really be careful not to allow that to happen. And, uh, yeah, it just got me thinking because I hadn't really thought about that. But Lisa was saying, you know, maybe a shorter tournament in a couple of years will what be what the WBBL need so i'm really hoping to get lisa on the the program to talk to her about it but uh, i've been thinking a lot about it way too much in fact uh, it's a good point uh, with, with the IPLW um, is going to be a juggernaut when it starts and uh, the wbbl will suddenly find that it's it'll go to second place very very quickly um uh, but uh, you know I, I i just wish that the wbbl that uh, and i kind of I wish the Channel 7 would show every game. Um, and I mentioned that they shouldn't have the Australia-New Zealand men's World Cup game on Gem, but why not have the WBBL games at least on 7, mate? Um, because what else is what else are they showing? Um, mm. if, if I mean, it's hard up against a World Cup, and that's going to kind of um, divert the eyes. But I, if, the, if there was no World Cup on, and I knew right now I could flick on an, on 7, mate, that there was um, a WBBL game, I'd watch it every night. Um, so I wish they'd get. I wish they'd get to that level. Yeah, agree. At least they're using DRS for some games. They've improved a lot, so you know it's 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 going really well compared to what it was in terms of the televising. So I'm not criticizing the networks. I'm saying I think the ratings would justify it. I think it'd be there in their own interest to show more games. Well, in that that first game of the WBBL, a terrific win to the Sixers where Maitland Brown hit a six off the second last ball to win it for the Sydney Sixers. I think around 300,000 people watched that opening game on free-to-air and um, pay TV. So that's pretty good figures for a, yep. a, a domestic tournament, let alone a, a women's domestic tournament traditionally. So, um, yeah, you're right. I think they should definitely put it on all the time. Well, that's quite um, refreshing. We've, we've agreed with each other on pretty much everything tonight. Yep. Um, all right, let's stick around so we can find an arc, something to argue about. Um, <laughs> oh, I had the best weekend, Paul. Like on Sunday there was, you know, the, the two T20 World Cup games, there were three WBBL games. Uh, and then, you know, you go, okay, what a great day. And then you wake up on Monday and you go, oh, there's two Shield games and there's a two World Cup games and there's a warm-up game and there's another WBBL game. It is bloody heaven. Um, and, you know, I put out a tweet and it's no lie. At the end of the day, I got a direct message from my wife with a link to an article about why women are leaving their husbands. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. how. I better be careful about these five five match days going forward. <laughs> I should just say, I've had the notes up till now so that um, I don't have to see my own head on the thing, but I've now switched back to seeing myself. Have I had my head like barely out of, out of camera shot the entire podcast? No, just the, since we did the preview when you started reading. 
Oh, so since like <laughs> most of the podcast, thanks for letting me know, mate. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought you were probably... reading. That's why. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, but <laughs> I could have had it at a different angle. Sorry, to, sorry, to everyone, if you just see my bald head for the whole show. Martin wasn't happy. Martin Lawrence wrote, "We can only see your head, Paul," and I've written, "He has shrunk." So it's. Uh... <laughs> anyway, well, look, everybody, thanks for listening to Cricket Unfiltered. Um, so Saturday, Australia plays New Zealand. Paul and I are both going to be there. We'll endeavour to record something Sunday, and uh, we'll go from there. Great. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.